0: Well, I'm so glad you're here today. You've chosen to worship with us this morning. Go ahead and open your Bibles to James chapter 5. We recognize here at Redemption that, as we already prayed, we have nothing to offer you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That is why we're here. And our hope and our prayer is that you would find Jesus to be sufficient, that He would be your all in all. There are so many things in this life that can that can draw us away from God that are shiny and glamorous and seem promising to to give to us in this life what we really need when the truth is it's all deception. All that glitters is not gold, we always say. The reality is what we really need. And the only thing that will last not only in this lifetime but in eternity is Jesus Christ and his sufficiency. And so, thank you for joining us today. Here in our church, we preach exegetically through one book of the Bible at a time so that we go through all the scripture because we don't want to take the scriptures and to fit it to our lives. We take our lives and we lay it down before the Lord so that our lives are transformed by his word. And so, if you have your Bibles open, James chapter 5... Today, we're going to look at the passage in verses 7 through 12. And so, if you've got your Bibles open or you have them on, read along with me. And here's what we read. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth, or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes, and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Lord, this is your word. It is living and it is active and it is powerful. And may your word accomplish its purpose in our life today. Amen. Great patience doesn't come naturally to a whole lot of people, does it? There are a few people who model astounding patience, but for most of us, it's a short supply. Wouldn't you agree with that when you look at your own life? Mm-hmm. Kids can drive their parents up the wall because of the kid's lack of patience. Parents can become impatient with their children at how long it takes them to learn lessons that should be simple to learn. Patience in our lives is tried when a person yearns for a companion to spend their life with but haven't found that person yet. Patience is tried when we're waiting for a spouse to change. Patience is tested when we're hoping for a certain or better job and it just doesn't seem to be coming along. Patience is tried when parents are waiting for a wayward child to return. Patience is tried when we're waiting to overcome health issues. Or very practically, patience is tried When we just want this COVID thing to be a thing of the past. Difficult times, folks, reveal our level of or our lack of patience. But regardless, regardless of how much patience we have or how much we don't have it, if we are believers, if you are a believer, that patience ought to be evident In our lives because patience is a fruit of the spirit and therefore evidence of real faith. And that is the sermon series we've been preaching through the book of James is that of real faith. Now, when James wrote this letter, James wasn't spouting some wide sounding lofty concepts that were disconnected from reality. We read this, we go, yeah, in theory that's good, but in reality, not so much. That's not, the, that's not the case here. What James was talking about here, what he was writing about, is practical examples or practical knowledge that we are to implement in our lives. So let me take, for a moment, let me take you back to the circumstances in which James was writing this letter. But what I'd like to do is I'd like to transpose those Circumstances as though they were happening in St. Thomas today. So just imagine for a moment, you you've wake, you awoke in the middle of the night and your stomach growls. You didn't eat yesterday to ensure that your kids would have enough food. And you've got maybe about four days' worth of food left in the cupboards together. Because there's been no rain this year which has utterly decimated Ontario's harvest or farming industry. Grocery store supplies are low. Food prices have skyrocketed because of the shortage and you can't even afford the healthy foods of the grocery store now. Money has always been tight for you, but now your employer hasn't paid you in a month taking advantage of the fact that you are a Christian, a Christ follower, because he knows that he's most likely gonna get away with it because of society's utter disdain for Christianity. And no one anymore in society has compassion or pity for Christianity And so you're not even sure if you're going to see any of that money at all. Furthermore, the government has declared Christianity a religion of hate. And anybody associated with it is automatically disqualified from receiving any form of social assistance, whether it's from the food bank or even unemployment insurance. As you get up in the morning, you discover that friends across town were arrested last night because they refused to deny their faith in Jesus. And then you hear a knock on the door and Pastor James is here and he's asking if you could spare some food because another family in the church who have children haven't eaten in three days. But you know your cupboards are almost completely bare. So you look into your fridge and you realize you have about a half a dozen of eggs left. But there is a chicken still. There's still a a complete chicken. But you'd hope to extend the life of that chicken for meals by turning it into soups. And so you feel this conflict within you as you consider the needs of your own family. But compassion wins. And you decide to walk over to the family who's in greater need and to give them your only chicken. But here's what frustrates you when you walk out your door. The people in your neighborhood are living the good life. They're doing much better than you. And the only reason you're in this predicament is because of your faith in Jesus Christ. What's more, the other thing that you haven't vocalized but really frustrates you is that there is a whole host of families in the church that are doing much better than you are. So why is it that they aren't the ones helping other families in need? This is the context under which James writes this letter. As you already know, there was a famine in the land and Christians were being persecuted. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, James gives these believers who are suffering unfairly godly instructions as to how they ought to respond or conduct themselves under this hardship. And he points something out here that oftentimes we don't give a lot of focus to, and that is the command, even under these difficult circumstances, to be patient. Look at James 5, verses 7, and the first part of verse 8, and he says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. That word patient is a rich word that deserves our attention. It's made up of two root words. And I won't get into it, but in English, if you wanted to translate it in English, it'd be this. Long and suffering. In other words, when we speak about patience, we're talking about being long in suffering. Vine's Bible dictionary, excuse me, says that the idea is that you show self restraint when provoked. And so, what happens in our own minds is the question that we so quickly jump to is well, how long? How long do I suffer long? How long do I allow myself to be treated unfairly? How long do I continue to live in this situation? And surprisingly, James gives us the answer. Until the coming of the Lord. Now, how many of us do not want to hear that? Until the coming of the Lord. Perhaps you might feel a degree of discouragement when you hear that. Because we feel as though the coming of the Lord might not even be in our lifetime. And I'm supposed to wait the rest of my life in this difficult circumstance? Hardly seems fair. But let's just pause for a moment And and let's just draw some encouragement out of this. You see, James already referred, already, sorry, he already referred to their era as the last days. And you can see that in chapter 5, verse 3. And other passages in the New Testament also refer to that time as the last days. And even though we don't know when Jesus is coming back, our hope is set on the fact that he is. And the reality is, we are that much closer to his return than the saints were 2,000 years ago. So it's close. But regardless, regardless of when he comes, we're told to be patient. Now, James uses the example of a farmer waiting. For his plans to produce a harvest, he waits for the rains so that it will produce that harvest. Now, as an example, in the last week of May this year, our kids turned our entire backyard into a large vegetable garden. And guess what? There were no plants by the end of the week. Not even after the second week, really. For the most part, there were no vegetables to be had in June. There were no vegetables that we could eat of throughout July. Two months, two months with no vegetables after toiling all that ground, planting the seeds, and then faithfully week after week hoeing the weeds so that they won't choke out the plants. Nothing. But the plants were growing. But here's what we knew. It was coming. And a few weeks ago, we noticed that the plants, tomato plants were filled with clusters of tomatoes, but they weren't ready yet. The jalapeno plants were full of jalapenos, but not ready yet. The potato plants were large, but potatoes weren't ready yet. And so we couldn't enjoy any of it after two months. So we all waited patiently until this week. And we've had some incredible, mighty, powerful rains over the last several months. And this week, this past week, we started harvesting tomatoes and cucumbers and peppers But it took several months. And that's what James says is how we're called to wait patiently until the Lord comes. Now, with that said, the reason James uses this particular illustration is because I believe he's alluding to a truth. You see, the way we may have interpreted this passage is that we might look at it this way, that we're to be patient under suffering until the Lord comes because when he comes, he'll bring justice. Our suffering will finally be over and he'll make all things right. And as much as that is true, I'm not convinced contextually that that is the main point of this passage or this illustration. Here's what I believe the point of suffering long in this passage is referring to. And that is this. Suffer long because God is using your suffering to produce a harvest. God is using your hardship, the difficulties that you're going through to produce a harvest. Peter also refers to this in 2 Peter 3.9 and he says it a little differently. He says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. You see, God saying, look, I want you to be patient because I'm being patient because people are still coming in to be saved. And God uses the hardships of this life to bring us to salvation. So He's patient. So now you be patient. This is encouraging. Do you know why? Just, just think this through for a moment. Because it means that your suffering, regardless of what it is, whatever you're suffering through, has purpose. It means that our long-suffering is never in vain. God is using it for his glory. The question is, can you accept that? Can we accept this? Can you accept that whatever difficulties you're going through, whatever trials are coming upon you, that God is using it for his sovereign, eternal purposes? There's another encouragement here, and that is that he's coming back, which means that our suffering will come to an end. Our suffering will not be eternal. It's momentary. For those who have faith in Christ, all your suffering is momentary. If you don't have faith in Christ, your suffering will be eternal. So I'd like to encourage you today, if you haven't already, would you turn to Jesus Christ? Would you bow before the king of kings and submit your life to him? Would you receive the forgiveness of sins that He has already secured for you? Would you receive the free gift of eternal life? Paul even wrote in Romans 8, 18 and 19, he said this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, listen, are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. You know, I think there are two things that can happen to us that blind us from reading these things and accepting them as reality. One, we can live a life of such abundance that we don't think we need God, so it clouds over and we're like, I don't really know if I believe God everything I need. Or when hardships come upon us, instead of turning to the Lord and trusting in Him, we're so focused on our circumstances that we lose God in the fog. Where are you? The reality is, this suffering that we go through in this life has purpose. And it can't be compared with the glory that's going to be revealed. So, church, beloved, be patient, look for his coming. Remember, he's using your hardships for eternal purposes. And his return won't be long. And then out of this now, James gives us four keys or commandments that will help us to either be patient or give expression to godly patience. Four points. The first one is this. Strengthen your hearts. Look at the second part of verse 8 again. He says this, Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And it's interesting how you'll see throughout this passage, he keeps referring back to keeping your eyes on Christ because he's coming. He's coming. Now, that word establish out of the ESV means to make fast or to strongly support. Now, there's a lot of new buildings going up in St. Thomas. Now, I don't know if you've taken the time to look at any of those or even got close enough to. And I am not knowledgeable about any of these things. But here's what I do know. That when you look at these huge buildings that they create out of concrete and steel, that they take these huge steel beams and they fasten them to, to the concrete through these large Anchor bolts that they've set in the concrete when they poured it, and then they bolt it down, and it becomes steadfast, if I can use that word. And of course, this helps the building to withstand or to at least minimize anything that'll come against it that may cause it to move. And in the same way, we're to fasten down, to tighten our hearts. We're to fasten or anchor it down to make sure that it's secured, that we won't be moved so that it won't be abandoned. So the question is, well, how do we do this? Interestingly enough, he refers to it again, by keeping in the forefront of our minds that the Lord is at hand, or in other words, Jesus' return is near. And this has always been the hope of the church. This has been the motivation that keeps us going, is that he's coming back. In fact, in Hebrews ten twenty-five, we read that we're not to be neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Listen, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What day? The day of his return. He's coming back. Amen. And we see this throughout the New Testament in 1 Peter 4, 7. Peter says, The end of all things is, is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded. John wrote in 1 John two eighteen, Children, it is the last hour. And so how much closer is Jesus' return today than it was when James wrote this letter to those saints 2,000 years ago? And how easily we become discouraged because we forget this. His coming is at the door. So if you want to strengthen your heart in the days of trials, fasten it to the truth that Jesus is coming back. In fact, Jesus said in Revelation twenty two twelve that I am coming soon. Don't forget that. Keep that in the forefront of your mind. When we cling to this reality, we'll be strengthened. And it will help us be patient in our trials until he comes. Do you remember back in James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, James actually put it this way. He said, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Oh, I know, we talk about it so much lately that when we're under these difficulties, we want out from underneath it. We just want things to be better, right? And yet, there's something to be gained the way we view our hardships. And here it is right here. It's right here. Count it all joy when all kinds of trials come upon you because the testing of your faith will Anchor you down. That's steadfastness. That's the first command. Secondly, the second command he gives provides evidence or is an expression of patience. Now we want to look at verse 9. That is this. Don't complain against fellow believers. Remember the example I used at the beginning. The example of other Christians have it better than you. Why am I the one that has to suffer like this and go through these difficulties. And so you have this sort of resentment towards other Christians who don't experience life the way you are. But look at verse 9. He says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, here it is again, the judge is standing at the door. You see, it's easy to grumble and gripe and complain against fellow believers when we're experiencing difficult times, isn't it? I'll admit it. It's honest. It's true of me. And I believe for many of us it's true. We'll gripe and we'll complain because they're not struggling like I am. Or we complain because they're handling the situation differently than I am. Or because they made a different decision in that circumstance than I did. And so we gripe and we complain about one another. And I think COVID has certainly revealed a lot of that. I think God has done us a great favor in exposing how divided we actually are. God's saying, let me me show you what's going on underneath. Let me reveal this so that we can deal with this. We're told not to do this so that we won't be judged. Jesus stands ready to judge when we do. Now, we already know and we understand that if we have been saved through Christ, we won't lose our salvation. But God will bring chastisement upon us for ungodly conduct. But let's ask this question. Why would the Lord judge us for grumbling against other believers? I think there's several reasons. And I really won't go into any of them really except maybe one. And that is because, firstly, it fractures the unity of the believers. I don't know if there's anything the devil would love more than a divided body of Christ. Secondly, it destroys the testimony of the believer before an already critical and watching world. But furthermore, you ready for this one? It's because we're insinuating that God is treating me unfairly. Because you see, any circumstance we go through, any hardship hardship that comes upon us, has come through the loving hands of God. And God is using it for our good and his glory. And so when we gripe and complain that we're not being treated or we don't have the lifestyle or whatever it may be like other Christians, we're insinuating that God is treating me unfairly. Even if we don't intentionally mean to do that, we are. But the reality is the Lord does nothing wrong. And so you see, impatience also reveals that we're not trusting the Lord in our circumstances. Remember the example of the farmer waiting for the rain so that he can harvest his crop. And so we're called to be patient because God is using our circumstances, listen, listen carefully, to produce a harvest either of righteousness within us or a harvest of souls around us. Yes, life is hard. Your situation is hard. But it's not without purpose. God is either producing righteousness through this within you or a harvest of souls around you. So we learn that in our trials, not to gripe or complain about other believers because their situation is different than ours. I'm not just revealing an attitude, or sorry, let me me repeat my, my, my thought here. When we learn in our trials not to gripe or complain about other believers because their trials are different than ours, I'm not just revealing an attitude of patience. I'm revealing that I trust the Lord in this. Valley of the shadow of death. And in that place, he is trustworthy. The third command that will help us with godly patience is to cling to faithful examples of the past. Look at verses 10 through 11. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider them those blessed who remained steadfast. Now watch this. He, now he changes direction. He says, you have heard of the steadfastness of Job and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Oftentimes, athletes will have a, a poster of a former athlete as a role model on their wall. And that, that poster of that athlete is an encouragement to them to endure and to persevere. And whenever this athlete finds themselves struggling to press on, to do the hardship and put in the hard work, these posterized athletes serve as a reminder of the goal and the outcome of that hard work. Of enduring and persevering. And so it motivates them to keep pressing on. And in the same way, it's important for you and me to look back and cling to the examples that we find in the Bible of these old saints who stood the test of time. Now, when James wrote this, they were referring back to the Old Testament prophets. And those prophets serve as an incredible example of endurance and patience in suffering. And James points out that we consider those guys who endured as blessed. Now, when we talk about blessed, we're not just talking about being made happy. We're not just talking about that God's favor was upon them. But Douglas Moo puts it this way. The blessing referred to here, listen, is the objective unalterable, underline that word, unalterable approval and reward of God. Now think back. If you've spent any time in the Old Testament, do you remember Jeremiah the prophet and how he was considered the weeping prophet? He remained faithful to God his whole life as he warned Israel of the impending judgment that was coming upon them. He was rejected by his own people. And tradition holds that he was stoned by his own people. But he remained faithful even though he suffered to death. You remember Isaiah. We don't hear much of his death. But he was another faithful prophet who suffered. And tradition suggests that he was indeed sawn in two by his own people but they were faithful and they suffered patiently and in the end they were blessed with the unalterable reward of God and then James as he turns a bit and refers us to the story of Job and he shows us this incredible encouragement that we have in this because In the story of Job, the curtains are pulled back so we can actually see God's purposes. We can see why and how God used Job's suffering. And what's more, it also reveals to us that throughout that entire process that God was both compassionate and merciful. And so he is to all his children. And so when we look back at these people, we're encouraged to remain faithful, to endure patiently, even under hard times, remembering that God really does use us and our suffering for his glory and our good. We learn that God is not cruel in spite of whatever difficulties come our way. We see that God is compassionate. And he is merciful, even though you may not sense it or feel it right now. In the end, it will be made clear. And you will see it. The fourth point that reflects godly patience is speaking the truth. Look at verse 12. But above all, my brothers... Do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Now we read this verse more like, how on earth does this verse connect with everything else that we've looked at in this passage? How does this connect with patience of all things? And I recognize that this verse may seem like it doesn't connect, but bear with me, and I think you'll see that it does. First, I want us to understand that when James uses the term above all, I don't believe that he's saying that this is the most important command throughout the Scriptures. I think what he's saying is within the context of, Of what I'm telling you here and now about patience. This is very important. We also recognize. That in this verse he's not talking about curse words or filthy language. He's talking about not swearing an oath. Whether by heaven. Or by earth or anything else in it. Now. Just follow me on this. Swearing an oath in those days was comparable to a written contract today. And what James says here actually parallels what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 35 and 37. That he said, we're not to make an oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no. Now here's the issue. The issue in their day was that among the Israelites, the swearing of an oath had become a way of deception. Rabbinical teaching here, this is, they found this loophole. Rabbinical teaching stated that only when you invoke the name of God when you swear an oath is it actually binding. But if you swear an oath by anything else, like heaven... Or, like they often would do, the temple or the gold in the temple. It gave the appearance as though you were being godly by swearing on those things, because those things are all connected to God. It gave the appearance that you were spiritually minded. It suggested that you were godly and thus trustworthy. And it implied... That God was witness to the oath. But. Because they swore an oath. By which they did not invoke the name of God. Because the rabbinical teaching said that it was then not binding. You didn't have to keep the oath. So it became a way to scam people. It was a dishonest way to get what you wanted when otherwise you couldn't get it. And James says, don't be like that. Your word should be so trustworthy that your yes really means yes and your no really means no. And that should be enough. So then the question is, well, then how does this connect with patience? How does this connect with what we've talked about this morning? Well, as we've seen in this context already, believers were suffering for their faith in Jesus, losing their jobs, losing their homes, thrown in prison, put to death, plus the famine, so there was no food. So the temptation, when you're struggling so severely, Under such difficult circumstances, the temptation would have been there to be dishonest, to gain some sort of relief. They may have been tempted to swear an oath that they knew they couldn't keep, or to make an oath about a statement of fact that really wasn't true. And this would not only have brought further disrepute on Christians But worse yet, it would have brought disrepute on Christ who had given himself for them. And what this does, it reveals impatience towards the Lord. So the attitude is, the Lord doesn't seem to be doing anything. So I have to resort to this and I got to take matters into my own hands. That's the connection here. Don't be like that. Let your yes be yes, your no be no. Speak the truth. Speak the truth. Simple honesty, folks. Speaking the truth is evidence under hardship of your patience, revealing that you're willing to endure whatever comes your way until the Lord returns. Patience, brothers and sisters, in suffering and hardships is another evidence of real faith. As it is the fruit of the Spirit. Now perhaps... Perhaps you find yourself frustrated. Maybe you even find yourself completely exhausted with the hardships in your life or even the wrongs that you've encountered or that you're always receiving the short end of the stick. I don't know what the difficulties are in your life or what you're going through. Or maybe the difficulties of the last 18 months and everything that's come along with it has you feeling like you're ready to throw off all restraint. Can I just compel you this morning to turn to the Lord, to turn your eyes upon him and embrace the reality that the Lord is using the difficulties of your life to either produce righteousness within you or to save others around you. Can I encourage you this morning to keep your eyes on Jesus? To recognize that your suffering is actually momentary because he's coming back and he's coming soon and his reward is with him. And, folks, the ultimate example of enduring patiently is Jesus himself who committed no sin, didn't revile when he was reviled, and he didn't retaliate when he suffered, but he committed himself to his Father who judges all things justly. Folks, life is hard. And it became harder in the last 18 months. Whether it's because it's not the life you thought you would have or because of the suffering that you've been enduring, it's hard. But submit yourself to the Lord. Be patient. Be strengthened knowing that your suffering is not in vain. Strengthen yourself knowing that he is coming soon. Don't complain against other brothers and sisters who have it better than you. Build yourself up by reminding yourself of the saints who suffered patiently and bring honor to the Lord by speaking the simple truth. He will not leave you nor forsake you. He is with you. And he will bring his reward with him. In closing, if you would like someone to pray with after the service. Our elders will be available at the front for you to pray with. But let's just take this time and let's close it in prayer. Father, your word is powerful and it is sharp. Lord, this life is hard and we're sinful. And even oftentimes under those trying circumstances, we are prone to walk away from you. But we thank you, Lord, that you continue to draw us back. We thank you that you never let us go. And I pray, Father, this morning for everyone that's here this morning. I pray, Father, as broken as we are, as hurting as we may be, as difficult as our life is, I pray, Lord, that we would turn to you. That we would turn to you and we would encourage ourselves, knowing that you are coming soon. You are coming, Lord. Lord, would you give us the ability to receive and to believe that none of our hardships are in vain, that you're using them? And Lord, when eternity comes, and by faith through grace in Jesus Christ, if we're able to look back upon this life, we will say it was a thousand times worth it. Jesus, you were so worth it. Thank you for using me the way you did. Thank you for changing me the way you did through all those hardships. All things are in your hands, Lord. And I pray this morning, Father, that we would submit ourselves to you and we would say, have your will and have your way. Be glorified through us.